It's time for Drive-By Theology with Dr. Steve Lawson and Todd Friel. You have something better than the disciples. Welcome to Lecture 29 of Drive-By Theology, entering now into a territory known as pneumatology, the study, the doctrine, the theology of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was walking the earth with the disciples, preparing to leave, he made a statement that is still shocking. He said, it is better for you that I go away in John 16, 7. So here's a question for you. How could it possibly be better for the disciples who had Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, in their midst? How could it be better if he went away? The answer is the Holy Spirit. While it was, I'm sure, groovy to be walking with Jesus Christ as a disciple, we have something actually better, if you will. Not that the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us all the time. The disciples, they could be with Jesus. They went fishing. He wasn't there. They ran an errand. He wasn't there. We have the Holy Spirit all the time. And in that sense, it's actually better for us. In reality, it is all that Christ is, is inside of us, indwelling us in the person of the Holy Spirit. In the Great Commission, when he said in Matthew 28, 20, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, he meant he would be in them in the person of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit has all of the attributes and all of the power that the Lord Jesus Christ has. What is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus Christ, to bring us to faith in Christ, to keep that faith strong, and to bring Christ into focus in our hearts. So if a ministry of the Holy Spirit is constantly focusing on the Holy Spirit, talking about nothing but the Holy Spirit, they have their pneumatology wrong. Exactly. Every parade that is of God does not have the Holy Spirit leading that parade. Jesus Christ is leading that parade. John fifteen twenty six. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me, John sixteen fourteen. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The primary role of the Holy Spirit, in a general sense, is to always glorify the work and the person of Jesus Christ. As we heard earlier, it's a subordinate role. Nevertheless, that is his primary job description, if you will. Let us continue studying the Holy Spirit then with that thought in mind, because we want to watch out for a couple of ditches here. So many Holy Spirit ministries are just gaga about the Holy Spirit, but never get pointed to Jesus. And so many of us have seen the abuses of those wacky movements that we never want to talk about the Holy Spirit. That isn't right either. No, that is correct. We want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives And when he is so powerfully at work, he is drawing us to love Christ, obey Christ, and honor Christ, and worship Christ. So let's not fall into one ditch or fall into another ditch. Let's study the Holy Spirit. Let's study him rightly, always recognizing his work and his activity is pointing to Jesus. As you recall from our study during the Trinity, it was very, very clear that the Holy Spirit is 
God. The Holy Spirit is mentioned on an equal level with God, and we talked about those Bible verses in Acts 5, 1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, that God and the Holy Spirit are equated. They're synonymous, like in Luke 1, 35, Matthew 28, 19, we see him mentioned with the Father and the Son in the same level. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the salutation that said the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. But there are some more ways that we know that he is God. His attributes point toward his deity. The Holy Spirit is eternal, Hebrews nine fourteen. He is omnipresent, Psalm 139, 7 through 10. He knows everything. He is omniscient, Isaiah 40, 13, and 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. And he is omnipotent, Psalm 104, verse 30. So we know that he's God, but he also qualifies as being a person, the best word that we can use to describe the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for a lot of reasons. Yes. The first is that the Scripture always refers to the Holy Spirit as a he, never an it. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He is referred to as himself, the personal possessive pronoun. Romans 8, verse 16, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit has emotions, also something that is characteristic of a person. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Isaiah 63, verse 10, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves, Romans 15, verse 30. Now, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a mind, Romans 8, verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. The Spirit speaks, Acts 8, verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. The Spirit knows, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit can be lied to, Acts 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Spirit can be tested, Acts 5, verse 9. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? And the Spirit can be a witness, Acts 5, verse 32. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit can be resisted, Acts 7, verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has intelligence and is capable of making decisions. 1 Corinthians 2.10 and Isaiah 40.13, Acts 15.28. All this is to say the Holy Spirit has a personality and specific qualities of personhood are attributed to his character. He is marked by goodness, Nehemiah 9.20 and Galatians 5.22 and 23. He is marked by holiness, he is the spirit of holiness, Romans 1, verse 4. 
He is the Spirit of truth, John 14, 17, and 15, 26, and 16, 13. He is the Spirit of grace, Hebrews 10, verse 29, and Zechariah 12, 10. He is the Spirit of comfort, John 14, 26, and 15, 26. And he is the Spirit who produces patience, love, gentleness, etc., in Galatians 5, 22, and 23. All of these speak to the personhood of the Holy Spirit. If that is not enough, there are the names of the Holy Spirit that demonstrate that he is God. The Spirit of God, Romans 8, 9, the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8, 9, the Spirit of your Father in Matthew 10, 20, the Spirit of the Lord in Acts 8, 39. All of those things put together, he is fully God and he is a distinct person. Also, as we discussed earlier regarding the Trinity, he is subordinate. Remember, it's a functional subordination. He's not actually less than. He's, he's not a lesser being. But so that everything runs and works, there's a leader. There are people who do jobs. He subordinates himself to the Father and to the Son. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Now, that we have all of that stuff established as a bit of a review, let's talk about what the Holy Spirit does. And we're going to break this up by starting in the Old Testament. What was the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? I thought he just showed up on Pentecost. Oh, no. He was there from the very beginning. In fact, he was there in eternity past with the Father and the Son. But we read that at creation. The Holy Spirit was very active because the Spirit of God was moving to and fro over the surface of the waters, Genesis 1, verse 2. And Job 26, 13 states, by his Spirit, God has adorned the heavens. That's also in Psalm 104, verse 30. Now, did the Holy Spirit ever work in people. That was his work in stuff and in creation. What about working in people? Of course, the Holy Spirit worked in people. Second Peter 1, verse 20 and 21 talks about the process of inspiration. We read that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they also inspired prophecy. First Samuel 10, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different people. We also see this in Numbers 9, verse 30, and Numbers 11, verse 25 and 29. 2 Samuel 23, 2 and 3, 2 Chronicles 20, verses 14 and 15, Acts 21, 4, and 28, 25. So a lot of prophesying. He was inspiring in the Old Testament. He also anointed some people, not all. It was a kingly or a prophetic anointing. Psalm 51:11. you remember this when David was pleading, take not your Holy Spirit from me. This was a kingly anointing that was, of course, for uh, a kings. That's why they call it the kingly anointing. He imparted life in Ezekiel 37, 9. He imparted certain skills in Exodus 31, 2 through 5 in the building of the tabernacle. He imparted physical strength in Judges 14, 6 and 19. He instructed, he taught, and he revealed in Nehemiah 9, 20 and Job 32, 8. In other words, he was plenty busy in the Old Testament. But here's my question for you, sir. 
if Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit in a unique way, that we would be the temple of the Holy Spirit, as described in 1 Corinthians 6, did these people have the Holy Spirit in the same way that we New Testament believers have? Well, they had the Holy Spirit within them, no question, but I do believe something unique is to be experienced by the believer in the New Testament. Because he was regenerating the Old Testament, saints. That's the only way you can come into the kingdom. But it seems that when Jesus promised in a unique way for New Testament believers, we have kind of an upgrade, if you will. Yes, his fullness abides within every true believer in Jesus Christ. So when David pleaded with God to not take away his Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that we can lose the Holy Spirit because that was the kingly anointing Holy Spirit. very good. So we don't get confused about losing the Holy Spirit, losing our salvation. Now let's fast forward into the New Testament the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Well, the Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, John 16, verses 8 through 11. He will come and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He was involved in the inspiration of the Bible, Uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 21, and 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. Of course, he was at work in the virgin birth, Luke 1, verse 34. The, The Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you. Wait a second. Before you just scoot on to your next point here, let's not overlook the virgin birth and the Holy Spirit's role and activity. It could be argued that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the infinite God stuffed into a human body, was a pretty big miracle. Extraordinarily so. And the Holy Spirit was involved in that. He is the one who sired within Mary the the holy offspring. All right, now you can scoot along. Okay. He also <laughs> was involved in the resurrection of Christ, Romans 8, verse 11. Uh, but if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, see very clearly he raised up Christ from the dead, and he empowered the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Acts 10, verse 38 speaks of how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus himself is the one perfect manifestation in history of the complete work of the Holy Spirit in man. Which is really an encouragement, because we have the same Holy Spirit. This is something that I'm not sure many people talk about, that Jesus Christ, because we understand his ontological nature, fully God, fully man, he did not remain perfect. He did not do everything right because his divinity was overshadowing his humanity. But instead, the man Jesus Christ did everything that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That That's huge for us to get that. That is. And in an argument from the greater to the lesser, it should be of enormous encouragement to mere people like you and me. Hebrews nine fourteen. how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without spot to God. Hebrews 3.18, he was tempted in all points as we are, but never once in any way did he yield to temptation. That's Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted and never sinned by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 61.1 predicted it. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Talking about Jesus Christ, that it would be the Holy Spirit who anointed him and empowered him to do everything. 
Luke 4.14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus himself, when he was in the synagogue in Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And when we see his baptism in the Jordan River, what do we see? The Holy Spirit descending upon him. Luke 4, one then says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, returned from the Jordan and was led, was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my Spirit upon him. All of those verses make it clear that Jesus Christ did everything that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Needless to say, that was a pretty big work. But we have not touched on perhaps his greatest New Testament work, which is his working in us, which we will tackle next time. This was Lecture 29 of Drive-By Theology.